it's uh, it's not often that I feel like really warm in here. Uh, it's usually cold, so that's a I guess a good change since it's a rainy, cold day. But also probably a good change as a listener because I'll be less comfortable up here and probably won't have to listen to me as long. Um, Isaiah fifty three is where we're going to start. I thought about this lesson, uh, I think for a couple weeks, I wasn't really sure what form it would take. Isaiah 53, I think ever since we were in Matthew 11 and Jesus uh, was working with those who are blind and lame and sick and healing and they specifically referenced the passage in Isaiah uh, 53 here and we talked a little bit about that. It was included on that little sidebar on the, the class sheet for passages to consider as we were working through that text. I've been thinking about Isaiah 50, uh, 35, not 55, 35 since then. Um, and what stood out to me then was uh, a verse in Isaiah 35, and I believe it was verse uh, 5, right? The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame sh- man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute shall, shall sing for joy, right? Because in Matthew 11, that's exactly what happens. And this passage is referenced as Jesus fulfilling this scripture. And I believe I was the one uh, that was leading that class. And in my preparation for it, I went back and read Isaiah 35 like we did this morning. Because it's not very long. I just read the whole thing. And there was a lot that stood out to me about Isaiah 35 that wasn't that part. Even though that's the part I know Isaiah 35 for. Um, And so I thought, well, let's uh, talk about that this morning. And the, the kind of context or the idea that I saw coming out of this and what I titled this lesson for is, Whose Way Are You Going? It's titled as a question, really. And uh, I want us to think about that this morning. Um, there's a, a couple of lines from the end of a Robert Frost poem that probably a lot of people are familiar with, whether you know it's Robert Frost or not. You've probably heard this. I'll read it to you. This is how the poem actually ends. It doesn't start this way. It ends with these lines. It says, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Now, I have no idea what was going through Robert Frost's mind when he wrote that poem. Um, The actual, the the name of the poem is The Road Not Taken. It's not a very long poem. It's probably shorter than Isaiah 35 is. Um, But that idea that we all kind of choose our path in life is what Robert Frost is reflecting on. That we all have a way of our choosing, right? We have a choice. And Robert Frost in that poem is acknowledging, you know, kind of in a broad sense, there's two ways to go. And one way is the popular way. And one way is the way that maybe doesn't get the attention, doesn't get the accolades. It doesn't get uh, travelers. And so, you know, I made a choice to go that way. And whatever that meant in Robert Frost's life, maybe that was being a poet. Maybe that was being a writer. Whatever way he was talking about, he's like, I went that way, and that's made the world of difference. That's made all the difference in his life. I think that's a scriptural idea. I know there's some passages for some of you that come to your mind when you think about that, and we'll come to those a little bit later. Jesus uses some of that same language when he talks about um, deciding to be a disciple or not, right? But that's, that's what Isaiah 35 presented to me in a nutshell is that same idea as Robert Frost, and particularly verses 8 through 10 solidified that in me. Before we really dive into those verses, though, um, I want to kind of think more just broadly about this idea of a a way, right? Um, You know, every one of us have have some choices about where our life goes, right? 
And they're, they're, they're big choices and they're little choices, kind of on a, a micro level, right? Like I might have a choice of what I wore today. That's a choice in life, right? Doesn't necessarily define my life, but it's a choice I make in life. But then there's some macro choices, right? Like, am I gonna have a family? That's kind of a choice I can gear my life around or not. Am I going to work in one field or another? Am I going to be a Christian or not? These are all choices that our life can be directed into by decisions I make, right? It affects the outcome of my life. It affects who I am. You know, some people choose a path or a way for their life that orients around like business. Like my life is going to be defined by and evaluated by my success in business, right? And we, we see people like that. The president-elect is a man who's done that, right? We, we see people who orient their life around a, a choice, a vision that they have for, you know, maybe athletic glory, right? Like that is their path in life, right? We know people like that. They're all over ESPN all the time, right? We have choices on where our life goes, right? And while some of those decisions may seem important, some may seem less important like what I wore today, right? There's really kind of a fundamental choice that we all make, whether conscientiously or not, that is really the most important. And it's, it comes down to this in its simplest form. Whose way am I going? Whose way? Not what way, right? But whose way? I would suggest to you that most people are going their way. Whatever they decide is their way, business, athletics, family, money, whatever, it's their way. They chose that for themselves, right? I would suggest that the Bible and Isaiah 35, as we look at this, is really calling us to not go our way, to go God's way. And there's a lot that that entails. When you're talking about people's lives, there's a lot of places that that touches, right? And so I have no grand ambition to touch every one of those, but I want to focus primarily on Isaiah 35 and what this text has to say about that um, because that's really the most important question that we have when we think about the choices we make is whose way am I going? And the Bible makes a very clear kind of dichotomy. It's either me, my way, my choices, or it's God's. Like we talked about with the parable, it's, it's never both. It's never two masters, right? Um, all right, so which will I choose? The background of Isaiah 35 is actually a very interesting one the more I dug into it because the background, the historical context for Isaiah 35 is either tied to a decision that was already made or a decision that was in the process of being made. The history of this is actually, uh, in 2 Kings 18, you see a lot of the immediate history of what like kind of influences maybe what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah, the prophet, lived in a time where a man named Hezekiah was the king of Judah. And Israel was either currently being taken over by Assyria or had just been, depending on the exact timeline of Isaiah 35. And why that matters is because Hezekiah's father, who was not a good man, his name was King Ahaz, not godly at all. He allowed idol worship and all this stuff. 
was a terrible person, he had basically sold Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, when they divided into two, Judah was the southern part. He had basically sold Judah to Assyria. They had kind of become like a vassal state of Assyria for some minor protections and things, which is not what God wanted them to do. Right? It was a very cowardly move. Um, and so Hezekiah becomes king at 25 years old. I'm 26, so I was like, wow. That really resonates with me. I'm not ready in a lot of ways to be doing this, to be a husband, let alone like a king of a nation and like standing up against armies and all this stuff. But that's where Hezekiah was. His dad left him a terrible example. His grandfather was actually a good king, and so he could probably remember some of that from being a young man. The timeline seems to show that. But Hezekiah has a choice in his reign. Whose way is he going to go? You know? Is he going to be the kind of king his dad was and go his own way? Go his dad's way or his own selfish way? Or is he going to, like, step back and think, all right, what way does God want me to go? And what Hezekiah ends up choosing is God's way. And it's almost like immediately, the way I, uh, 2 Kings 18 reads is like, it reads almost as like, as soon as Hezekiah became a king at 25 years old, he starts making changes. I don't know if that's how quickly that actually unfolded, but I mean, within a couple of years, because there's a couple of time signatures, there's been some already big shifts. Hezekiah decides to fight the Philistines for the land that they should have had which his father didn't do. He decides to tear down all the altars to the idols in the land and reinstitute temple worship and go back to the law of God. And one big thing that he decides to do is he says, I'm tired of God's people, God's country, being a vassal state for Assyria, idol worshipers. And he rebels against them. I don't know what that personally cost Hezekiah in practical ways, I imagine that cost him a lot of things. Probably some wealth, probably some immediate power, some prestige, I don't know. Definitely reputation probably among a lot of circles of people. Um, But Hezekiah had that choice. And through that, you know, there's some moments where he needs some encouragement. There's some moments where he starts to like how do I do this? What's the next step? And Isaiah is the one that steps in in his life through God's direction and encourages him and prophesies to him. And Isaiah 35 may very well be some of the exact words from 2 Kings 18 that Isaiah gave him. We don't know for sure, but this may have been it. And when you read Isaiah 35 in light of that, thinking that they're going to be fighting back for lands that they used to have and be rebelling against a kingdom that is oppressing them and using them like a vassal state. And he's restoring idol worship. When you read Isaiah 35 in that context, it really, you start to see like the choice that this prophecy is reflecting. Right? In fact, Isaiah 34, when you go back, is about how God's going to judge all the nations. And specifically, when you go through that, the nations that are a trouble to Israel. And when you get to 35, let's look at this again, Isaiah 35. (coughs) Look at verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon, and they shall see the glory of the Lord 
the majesty of our God. If you're Hezekiah, you're thinking, all right, Isaiah, what do you have to tell me? And Isaiah starts saying this, that the land is going to affirm your choice. It's going to rejoice that you're about to do, you're doing what you're doing. God is going to aid this. In fact, at the end of this, uh, they will see, like the land is going to see God's glory again. What an affirming thing to hear from a prophet of God when you're in the process or contemplating rebelling against um, basically the whole uh, reign of your father, everything it stood for. Continuing, verse 3, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, and man, I imagine that's Hezekiah somewhat, right? Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. To hear that when Hezekiah is like making big changes is like, okay, I know this is right. Isaiah is telling me that God's going to back us up on this, which is not something his father was willing to do. He is not something his father was willing to trust in, right? So when we contemplate whose way are we going, whose way are you going, Isaiah 35 comes on the heels of someone making that choice, right? Of course, verses 5 through 7, right, have kind of that that double fulfillment because Matthew 11 tells us that Jesus fulfilled that, right? Like in the most full sense, Jesus literally did this. He brought this stuff about in spiritual terms. But when you read those verses, you know, you're sick and you're hurting, are going to be blessed by the decision that Hezekiah is making. Like, this is going to be for the benefit of his people. You know, I imagine as a king, that's a lot of the weight of your decision making. If you're a good king, you know, how is this going to affect the people that I'm supposed to be protecting? And to hear that God is saying, you know what? Your blind people, they're going to be blessed. Your deaf people, they're going to be able to hear. You're mute, they're going to start talking. Well, okay, like maybe my one reservation in all of this has now been covered over by the Lord, right? And really, I really want to focus in on in this lesson. And what I want us to think about is verses 8 through 10 primarily. Because this uses language talking about a way, right? In verse 8, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be upon their heads. They shall attain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Hezekiah is contemplating a big decision. This is what I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose to go the way of God. And what that means for me is fighting the Philistines. What that means for me is rebelling against Assyria. What that means for me is tearing down the idol camps and the idol altars, instituting our true boundaries, the ones that the Lord has given us as a nation, instituting true worship in the laws of God, standing for what's right and trusting in the Lord. And what God is saying is when you make that choice, right? When you choose God's way, whose way are you choosing? God's. What he does is provide that path. 
I think that's what he's saying to Isaiah. He's saying in that choice, in this moment, God has laid down a highway for you to go on. And literally, when you look at the word, it is kind of, I don't know, it's represented in English, but it, you know, this idea of a highway is a way that's been raised up. It's been engineered to be easy, right? You can go faster, you can go more safely, right? And so for God to say that he's creating a highway in verse 8, means that he's building something up, right? And he elaborates on this through verse 10, that it's safe, that it's good to travel on, right? That certain travelers can be on it and not worry about certain things. In fact, they'll get to where they're going very safely and quickly. And where they're going is a good place. It's a good highway, right? And what we see in this text is God is offering his way to to Hezekiah. Isaiah is the mouthpiece of God saying, look, I want you to see that what you're doing is going to be affirmed by God, chapter 34, 35. But here, know that it's my way. Like you are choosing this highway, right? And he calls it in verse 8, the way of holiness. And this is kind of where I think some of our application steps in in this lesson. When we're choosing whose way am I going to go, obviously I think everyone should choose God's way. We wouldn't be here this morning. I wouldn't be talking this morning if I didn't believe that to be true. You probably wouldn't be here, at least if you weren't interested in that or considering that or have already made that choice in your life. So one thing that I want to say about that and that Hezekiah needed to hear was Hezekiah was not creating the way. You know, I think there's a lot of temptation when we make big changes that we know God is going to be pleased with and we're trying to do God's thing is like we're clearing the way. Like I'm going to I'm going to create the way of godliness for myself. Right? But really what God is saying to Hezekiah through Isaiah here is like I'm going to give you a way. I've laid down a highway. It's the way of holiness, and your job is to get you and the people on it. Right? You just you affirm that. You affirm the highway. You, you travel it as well as you can. I think that's a really simple but important point. You know, a highway will be there. The ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion. Hezekiah didn't build that road. He may be getting back on it. He may be helping the nation to find it again. But the Lord's placed that highway. And the Lord is the only one that can lead it to Zion. Right? And that's what he says in verse 2. One important reality is we do not supply the highway. You do not supply that highway. And that highway is meant, as the language here suggests, to take us to God. Because you notice the end result in verse 10. The ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Zion is one of those words that um, should make us think where God is. Like God's place. Zion is God's place. Right? If I want to get to God, I need to go his way. And that's where I'll go. Right? No other way, not my way, not your way. God's way, his highway. Another thing about this is when God offers his way, not only does he supply the way, he designs it. Like he designs the manner with which that highway operates or looks or feels or whatever. Like he's the designer of it. 
That's emphasized, I think, by a lot of things here. But the one thing that I want to focus on for a moment is actually back in verse 7. Did you notice that burning sand becomes a pool? Right? And the thirsty ground springs of water. And in the haunt of jackals they lie down, and the grass shall become reeds and rushes. You know, none of that, like, scrubby stuff that we've been experiencing here in Atlanta in this drought. Like, there's going to be, like, full bushes and grass and tall and green, right? You know, it sounds to me like not only is the land going to be blessed by Hezekiah's decision to, like, follow God, but that feeds into verse 8, right? God places a highway where he has changed the land. You know, the highway is not going to be sent through, like, wilderness, desert, difficult places. God's saying, I'm going to change the places that are difficult into pleasant places, and that's where I'm going to engineer and design my highway. Okay? It sounds a lot like um, you know, some of the things David says in the Psalms about God being his shepherd and leading him right, by many waters to still water to good green pastures. That's what God's doing for them. Right? He designs his highway. Um, we don't design it. I don't choose where it goes or how it's implemented. God designs it. So stepping out of this for a moment, out of Isaiah 35, just for a second, we need to ask the question, like, how is God supplying this to Hezekiah? And I think when we start to answer that question, we might see how does God supply this to you and me? Ultimately, like Matthew 11 suggested, Jesus is the fulfillment of this. And that's where we need to end up. And when you think about Hezekiah, I'm not totally sure how Hezekiah would have felt about the fulfillment of this. Obviously, God blessed him in his rebellion against Assyria. Like, he saw that. There was no way for really him to win that rebellion except without God's help, or with God's help. And he got it. I think he would have seen that. I don't have any indication from Second Kings or anything after that that like a lot of those lands literally changed and blossomed in the way that he maybe expected, maybe not. I don't know. But for you and me to look at this text and to think about it and then to think about Jesus as we thought about with the Lord's Supper and in our singing with Blake directing us in songs focused on Jesus, we need to see that Jesus is how God supplies this way. When we think about whose way am I going and what that means for my life, I can't begin to answer that question without thinking about Jesus. I can't know what that means for me or how that looks without considering Jesus and who he was and how he looked and what he did. And so... uh, You know, back in verse 5 of Isaiah 35 here, right? Jesus saves us and provides the signs of his coming to provide the way, right? There's the connection in Matthew 11, verses 4 through 6 to this text, right? So if Jesus is how God supplies the way, we need to focus now then, like, what is that way, right? Like, if Jesus is going to provide the way, he's the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah 35 in this way, this highway God gives to Zion. Then, what is that way? Like, how do I know what to do? How do I get on that way? Like, what does that way prompt of me or challenge me to be? Well, it's in the name, right? 
a highway will be there, and what's the title of that highway? You know, we call 7585 the connector, right? That's its title, but it's an interstate. Well, God's highway is titled the way of holiness. That's the name he gives it. Obviously, that gives us some indication of what he means for those who are trying to go God's way, right? But let's talk a little bit about that. The way that God supplies for his people to go is a pure and holy way. I think that's, I overlook that sometimes. I think, wow, it's really great that God provided a way and I didn't provide it and it's God's way, but I don't necessarily always think about what that requires of me. Like, just because it is a gift doesn't mean that God wants me to to travel his way in any manner, right? And that's what he's saying here. His way is a way of holiness. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 1, if you want to turn there, you can. Um, If you're not going to turn there, then please listen to me as I read it. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Christians have this understanding, and God imparts it to us uh, through Peter as he writes. As soon as I can get here. 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 16. This is just one of many places to kind of see this idea of holiness in in a believer, a Christian's life. As obedient children, in verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, I just took one little excerpt out of the whole context of the book here, but one thing that's plain to see is that God's expectation for people traveling or going his way is that they are holy people. There's no holiness without Jesus, so we don't need to, like, overlook that. But Jesus supplies us the way, and he supplies us the manner, right? We might say it that way. We are to be holy as we travel God's way. You know, Hezekiah, when he was making his decision, am I going to be a king like my dad? Am I going to be someone who goes God's way and he chooses God's way? That involved certain things, right? Like, that wasn't just like a nice intent, as we might say. Like, I want to do what's right. Let me feel it out. It required him, like, tearing down the idol's temples. It required him instituting, right, again, the temple worship and the laws of God and, and supporting and encouraging that. It wasn't up to him to decide what that meant for him, right? He was, I want to go God's way. All right, let God tell me what that is. And that's holiness. One other aspect of this highway, uh, sorry, I meant to tell you, keep your finger in Isaiah 35. Uh, turn back there with me and just kind of keep your finger there. We'll keep coming back to it. There's a lot that could be said about this. One other aspect that I want to focus on is in verse 19, or verse 9. Sorry, On God's way and his highway of holiness, you know what he doesn't allow to traverse that highway? Lions. He specifically says that. And he also throws in this caveat, nor really any ravenous beast, right? So lions are kind of like the picture of a ravenous beast, right? Historically speaking, a highway was a a road you should be able to trust to be safe. I don't know if we have that sense as much anymore. I think in a much lesser sense, we like highways because we have cell phone coverage and there's a lot of gas stations. But that is kind of indicative of like a deeper sense of safety that they probably had back then on a highway, right? A highway would have been more well traversed. It would have been better protected. It would have just been a safer way to go. 
right? And that's what God's saying. His way of holiness, the way that he supplies, that he's affirming Hezekiah should go down, right, is absolutely safe. And what I mean by that is not that we won't experience trouble in life. We talked about that with the parable. But what I want to suggest to you is that you, when you're on the highway, the way of holiness, you are protected from the attacks of a lion. Ultimately, obviously, the parallel is pretty simple, right? We know who that the real lion is, right? Also in 1 Peter, if you were to turn over to chapter 5, if you hold your place in Isaiah here, you would see that made pretty clear uh, in verse 8 of chapter 5 of 1 Peter. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But God is saying on his way, there's no lions. And I know for Hezekiah that would have meant something, like literally there was no lions in God's way. That's a very vivid image of not having to worry about that, right? But I think it's a pretty plain spiritual image that if we're traveling God's way, the lion really doesn't have any power on that way. There's really nothing that that lion can do if I stick to the highway of God. And I think that's a biblical truth that we see. And I think is represented here in Isaiah 35. Though the lion is prowling, it is never devoured. It has never and will never devour someone who stays on the way of God. It can't. Another thing that we see here is the redeemed shall walk there. You see that in verse, the end of verse 9. You know, only those that God has rescued, I'm going to use that language, only those that have chosen God's way and he has rescued, placed on the highway, are going to be there. This isn't just some road, kind of like what Robert Frost says, right? That everyone has, a ch- like, flippantly can just go down. That's kind of what I'm getting at. It's not just like a flippant thing, like someone ends up on the highway and they're like, hey, you're on the highway of holiness. That's cool. I love God too. And they're like, who's God? Like, I just happened to find this road, right? You choose God and he places you on that highway. The redeemed shall walk there. This idea, the rescued, the bought back are going to be on that road. And nobody else. No lions, No non-redeemed or non-rescued people are on that road. Just those redeemed heading to Zion, right? And finally, the last thing that I kind of want to focus on is they shall obtain gladness and joy, which is kind of in the middle of verse 10. There's a lot to say about verse 10. I didn't write very much down about it because it was kind of overwhelming. But in verse 10, I think there's a truth here. that I need to hear a lot, and so I'm going to talk about it, and hopefully you see the the biblical truth that I'm trying to present. And it's that when we choose God's way, and he puts us on this highway, and we stay on it, and it's taking us to Zion, that's where real joy is. Sometimes when I'm kind of parsing out and debating, like, am I going to go God's way? In general in my life, or even in a specific moment, am I going to choose God's way? Am I going to stay on the highway, or am I going to deviate? I feel like I'm missing out or losing something. And usually it's something about fun or pleasure, and I'm going to miss out, and that's the temptation, right? I'm told, wherever the lion is, kind of off the side of the highway, he's like, come over here, 
It's better, it's more pleasing, it's happier. And a lot of times I believe that. And I feel like, man, what a sacrifice that I'm staying on this highway. I'm not as, like, having as much fun as I could. I'm not really as happy as I could be, but I know it's the right thing to do. What God is saying here in verse 10 is that those who get to Zion, right, they obtain gladness and joy. Sorrow and sighing go away. They flee away. If you can stay on the highway that God provides, whatever temporary feeling of missing out or sadness that may present to you or you may be tempted to feel, just know that everlasting joy will be on your head if you can stay on that highway. And that's what Hezekiah was looking at because I have no doubt that fighting the Philistines and resisting Assyria and rebelling and trying to become your own nation again and tearing down, that was the path of most resistance, literally and spiritually. You could not have picked a path that would be more difficult in the short term than that one for where they were. Isaiah, by God's command, is telling Hezekiah, look, you're in this for the long haul. This is a highway, and you need to stay on it until you get to Zion, because that's where joy is. That's where gladness is. All the mess you're dealing with now is just part of getting to that. And that's what God is telling us, too, I believe. So... How do I choose God's way? Simply put, you need to choose Jesus. Jesus is the one that supplies that. There's a lot of passages that illustrate this. I would suggest to you that there's kind of a simple line of reasoning if you're familiar with the the Gospels at all. Um, John is the one who would come to prepare the way for Jesus. Is almost, when you think about Isaiah 35, like part of that effort to prepare the land where the highway goes, Right? There's language in Isaiah 35 that says like deserts and stuff are actually going to become pleasant, like pools of water, and they're going to be green and all this stuff. I kind of picture that as John. Like John's like, I'm preparing the way for Jesus. And Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, right, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if I'm going to look at those two truths in light of this, that's what it sounds like. John was helping that engineer the way for the highway, and Jesus lays it down, right? He's that path that you traverse. So you need to choose Jesus, but how else do I choose God's way? I think there's other parts of this that are more specific than just saying choose Jesus. I think that you need to confess your sins. I think that you need to repent of those. And I think you need to, on a proactive kind of sense, put on holiness like we talked about in 1 Peter 1. Right? You need to actively, every day, not just once on a macro level, but in every small decision on a micro level that you make, choose God's way. What's God's way? I'm going to choose that. What's the world's way? I don't want that. What's God's way? Choose it, choose it, choose it. Every single day and every choice that you can make, ask yourself, which way would God be happier with? Which way is God laying down a path for me in? And choose that. Sometimes that's as simple as going to church. That's a very clear-cut decision, right? God says, you need to assemble with believers. Don't forsake that. There's certain things you do here that you don't have an opportunity to do elsewhere. That's God's way. Sometimes it's more difficult, like, what job do I choose? That doesn't seem as clear all the time, right? But if I'm on God's way and I'm focused on holiness and righteousness, I'm focused on seeking Him, right, then perhaps God is saying that you're on the way of holiness already, Right? 
And the way of holiness, the way to him, can be going through either, depending on your character and your purpose. Right? If I purpose myself to choose God's way, some decisions will be made for me easily. Like, should I go to church? Well, yes. Should I attend faithfully? Should I read my Bible? Should I pray? Should I repent? Yes. And other decisions, you'll operate in, in holiness. Right? Because I'm on that way. And finally, um, as we conclude here, I kind of want to read this one more time, this, this quotation from Robert Frost's poem. We have a choice to what path we choose for our lives. Um, just as Robert Frost said, two roads diverged in a wood. And I looked, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Matthew 7 says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Don't you think Hezekiah knew that? And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I think what Robert Frost is saying is true because it reflects Matthew 7, right? Choosing the way that is less traveled by, I don't know what Robert Frost meant by that, but I know what Jesus meant by it. Choosing the way that is less traveled by does make all the difference. And that way is Jesus. So as we think about Isaiah 35, see yourself in that. Is God going to see you as choosing the way to holiness, his highway leading you to him? Or is he going to see you like he saw Ahaz, going whatever way you chose, leading other people that way, leading to destruction, where there's no glory for him or for you? That's something to think about this morning. Hopefully this lesson's been helpful for you. I'd encourage you that if you in any way uh, need help, prayers, you need to repent, you want someone to talk to, to confess with, to study with, just to talk about something. There's not a better group of people that I know of in this community than the people that you're sitting around right now to help you with that. Take advantage of this time. Blake's going to lead us in this song, so be reflective and think about your place before God as we sing this song. And if you have a need, let somebody know. Thank you.